The purpose of Timberwood Church is to honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ, worshiping, serving, celebrating together. It's rooted in the words of Jesus, Yeshua, when he said, page 835, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The three-legged stool that we sit upon in which accomplishing this purpose is outreach, okay? Outreach means being a place where people can come to know Jesus Christ. Outreach is also inviting. Outreach means that anyone can walk through the door. Anyone can walk through the door to be introduced to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Spiritual formation is being a place where people who know Jesus as their Savior have experienced forgiveness of sins, that, that first step towards faith, being a place where people who know Jesus can grow in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Spiritual formation. Leadership is being a place where people who know and are growing, who know Jesus and are growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ, can, can lead in their sphere of influence. And frequently we know, all of the time we know, leadership means service, it means prayer, it means inviting. Who's going to pay for all this? We are. We are. It's us. The command of Christ to join him in communion, in remembering, and the idea of worship one, serve one, that, that service is so integral to the expression of our life here at Timberwood Church. Worship, the totality of a life that honors God. We get all of these things done because we are in community together. God's graciousness the generosity that we possess, given to us by God, right? To reach a community for Christ. I am profoundly proud and grateful that Timberwood Church exists. Do you have 10 minutes? <laughs> Church history in 10 minutes, okay? So imagine a tree. Imagine that I'm a mighty oak. I know I look a little bit more like a spindly popple. Imagine I'm a mighty oak with a full crown of leaves and all the things, okay? But down in the roots, okay, we have the first century church, okay? Right down here, we have the first century church, okay? Jesus Christ has just left planet Earth, okay? He's ascended back into heaven, okay? And, and basically, a ragtag group of people who aren't all that reliable are left in charge. I wouldn't have trusted them. I would have been freaked out. Jesus is like, no. Command, go, make disciples. Matthew 28, some of the last words of Jesus. Go, and so they go, right? And it's a subversive thing, right? Because being a Christian in the first century, a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of the way, you were subjected to persecution. First by the Jews, and then um, by the Roman imperial empire itself. You were kind of like underneath the radar screen, right? But, but crazy things happened, okay? Crazy things happened. This subversive undercover movement grew. And by 300, there were so many followers of Christ in the Roman Empire that Constantine was like, okay, no more beating up on followers of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. 310, Edict of Milan, I think it was it, the Edict of Milan. 
And then 325, Council of Nicaea, because Christians can now meet openly and not worried about being killed by imperial Rome, Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed. And the creed that comes out of that is kind of cool, but what's more significant is for the first time in the history of the church, the church has imperial power. There's a bit of caution I have in my tone because I think the church has always wrestled from that time forward what it meant to have imperial power, what it had meant to have governmental authority. And they, all, they haven't always done a good job of it. At any rate, so we're down here. We're 300. It's no longer getting beat up because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Things moved on about 1054, okay? There's a group of two centers of power. One center of power is Rome. One center of power is Constantinople, okay? And, and, and there's kind of this thing going back and forth, okay? Who's going to be more powerful? And, and there's this debate and this thing going back and forth. And Leo IX sends an emissary from Rome to visit uh, Michael the One, um, uh, the first in Constantinople, and basically says, what you're doing is all wrong, and we don't want to be friends with you anymore. And there was some controversy. There was this thing called the philoquy, which is the, where does the Holy Spirit come from? There was a controversy about communion. Do you use leavened bread or unleavened bread? Blew up the church. And out of that, we have Western Orthodoxy and Eastern Orthodoxy. Eastern Orthodoxy, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, American Orthodox, and the Western Church, Rome, and then, in subsequent generations, the Reformation. In the 1400s, there was this dude um, in Prague by the name of Jan Hus, okay? His last name means goose, okay? And, and he has this idea, right? Because he's trained by the powers that be in Rome. He's a Western Christian, not an Eastern Christian, okay? And he has this idea that... If the Pope says something that is against the Bible, the Pope shouldn't be followed. Now, the Pope didn't like that. And the Pope killed him. Literally burned him at the stake. Here's what he said right before his life expired. God is my witness that the things charged against me I never preached. In the same truth of the gospel which I have written, taught, and preached, drawing upon the sayings and positions of the holy doctors, I am ready to die today. And they killed him. A hundred years later, there was this young cat by the name of Martin, as in Luther, okay? And he's like, I got a problem with how the church is doing business. Because literally the church was doing business. They were selling forgiveness. The church had figured out a way, if you monetize forgiveness, and there's some people like here that are like, oh yeah, how can I monetize something? How can I make more money? Okay, I, okay, that's what was going on. The church was like, how can I make more money? How about this? How about you pay me to forgive you? That's what the church did. Built St. Peter's Basilica. Built the Sistine Chapel. Beautiful works of art. The church monetized forgiveness, and Luther said, uh, shouldn't we be giving this away? The Pope, again, wasn't a big fan, but Luther was protected by a German prince, but everything bust wide open. A gentleman by the name of John Calvin, the Swedish, Geneva, not Swedish, the Swiss, 
reformer in Geneva. About 100 years after that, in the 1600s, there's a group of people who followed Martin, but didn't think that the followers of Martin were going far enough. And they became known roughly as the Pietists. Now, there's three things that the Pietists did, and it's really, really important because it informs who Timberwood Church is today. Number one, the Pietists were people of the book. That is to say, the Bible. Remember when I talked about the Creed of Nicaea? Early Pietists would have rejected the Creed, not because they disagreed with it theologically, but because they said, why do we need a man-made Creed? We have the Bible. We have the book. So they're people of the book. Number two, they're fiercely independent at the local church. No big, huge ecclesiastical authority. The church in Rome, the pietists are like, no thanks, pass, we'll do our own business, thank you. And number three, and this is super, super important, the idea that they're committed to acts of piety. Personal piety, okay, that is to say your relationship with Jesus Christ is first and foremost your responsibility. It's not my responsibility, although I can aid in your faith walk, faith journey. Likewise, the community is incredibly important as our faith grows together, but, but your relationship with, you have to make a decision. I have to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. The second is acts of piety, okay? And so you see schools, you see hospitals, you see individuals giving to their community because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Fast forward a couple hundred years, there's a group of pietists in Sweden who are being persecuted by the local church, which at that time was the Lutheran church in Sweden. And these group of pietists are facing persecution from the Lutheran state church, and so they're like, remember what I said about whenever the church gets power? It's kind of a challenging thing. These group of pietists are like, no. And so they emigrate to the United States of America, seeking both economic advantage and religious freedom. And those group of Swedish immigrants become known as the Three Sisters. And they form the denominations that we know today as Evangelical Free, Swedish Covenant, and Swedish Baptists. Out of that, my grandfather and great-grandfather was a preacher in the Swedish covenant tradition, and we reside in the Swedish Baptist tradition, which is closely related to these three, right? They're known as the three sisters. Are we at 10 minutes yet? Almost. Important to distinct, to make the distinction, Swedish Baptist heritage is different than Southern Baptist heritage. Not going to go into it. Don't have that much time. The themes that come out of this history lesson are super, super important to Timberwood Church today. You see those three themes of the pietistic folk in what happens here each and every week. Okay? Each and every week, we emphasize teaching and reading and preaching from the Bible. Today's remarks are rooted in Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. We preach through books of the Bible. The Bible is incredibly important to us. We are people of the book. Number two, we're independent at the local church level. There's not an ecclesiastical authority that tells us what to do. 
There's not anyone outside of this entity that gives us money to do the things that we want to do. We are responsible for the decisions that we make and executing those decisions. And finally, personal piety. We emphasize the importance that each of us have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The good guy defense isn't a defense. Knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, that is where life begins. And that's a personal decision that if you haven't made, really, it, 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 is, it is life and death. And, and, and we invite you consistently to put your relationship with Jesus Christ as the first priority of your life. And because of that, like Eric spoke of last week, we are, we are invited to serve, to, to have our faith experienced in community. The tenor, the tone of this history lesson, in about, well, somewhere in the 1900s, the, the fundamentalist movement really took root, and the Swedish Baptist folk and the Swedish Covenant folk and the evangelical free folk didn't find huge objection with the, with the fundamentalist movement. They just found objection with the tenor, with the tone. They found that it was lacking in an ironic spirit. They used the phrase, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity. In the essentials, unity. What's an essential? A relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the biggest essential I can think of. What, what's a non-essential? Your specific theology or my specific theology about the end times. As long as we know it's coming, can we agree on that? Okay? So if something's related to salvation, that, that's an essential. And on that, we say, hey, we should probably agree on that. And for a non-essential, ah, we can have some space. But the third phrase is critical. In all things charity. That means even when we disagree about something, and we disagree passionately about something, we do so in a charitable, gracious way. Romans 12, 3, page 948, Paul writes to the followers of the church of Rome, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think. Have you ever met someone who thinks more highly of themselves than they ought? I certainly have. Sometimes that person is in the mirror. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The tenor, the tone, the posture, the ironic spirit, an attitude towards seeing a pathway towards peace, an attitude of seeing a pathway towards reconciliation, uh, an attitude of seeing even someone that we disagree with in a more generous compassionate light, the ability to, if you will, empathize, the ability to be modest, 
in one's own opinion. You can see in the history lesson the influences that Timberwood Church has benefited from. You can understand not only biblically, but the thread of history, how this emphasis that we possess today is something that is a long and treasured and valued history of how we conduct ourselves and how we engage. And so out of that, we come to this place, Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Please pray with me. We're going to take just a little bit of extra time in silence this morning. So I invite you to just breathe deeply. The Spirit of God. And exhale your cares, your worries, your frustrations. Allow the breath of God, the Old Testament word is ruach, the breath, the spirit. Maybe today is the first day that you've come to Timberwood Church. Maybe today is the first day you've been back at Timberwood Church. We've said it before. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Today is a perfectly wonderful day to drive a stake in the ground and say... I am a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've never taken that step, know that this is a place that will encourage your faith. Know that this is a place where you can ask questions and get them answered. Know that this is a place that will continually come back and place before you the author that Jesus Christ gives. We don't sell it. Forgiveness is free. Jesus offers forgiveness to all. But there is a catch. 
you have to accept the gift. So if you need to be forgiven today, just in your heart, or softly, or boldly, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Maybe you'd be bold to pray, today I want to begin a relationship with you. Or maybe you'd be bold to pray and say, today I want to grow and experience this thing called spiritual formation. Or maybe you'd be bold to pray, today I want to lead, I want to serve, I want to influence those in my sphere of influence for the cause of Christ. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the history on which we stand. More important than that, Father, thank you for the Word of God on which our hope resides, on which our salvation is made plain. On which we know not only that you exist, but you love us and invite us into a relationship with you. A good and gracious God who says, follow me. Father, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.